Today is Thursday, January 4th, 2018. Time for episode 41 of the Barnhart Podcast. It's a new year and I'm already ready for a nap. How were your New Year's <laughs> festivities? Oh, mine were very, very chill. I was I was in bed at midnight on the 31st uh, and into the 1st, so nothing... Nothing scandalous, nothing even exciting for me. You know, it's just, it's one of my least favorite holidays of the year anymore. I'm just kind of kind of past it, not into it. Just like you, just want to just want to get a good night's sleep. Yeah, I've been pretty much head down, heads down, working on um, home projects and work projects, and have not. If you follow my Twitter account, I, I I tweeted about four hours ago. It's like, what's going on in the news? I have not been paying attention. So I. I I was doing a little bit of research between then and now before the show started and, and just trying to figure out what are we going to talk about? And, and, uh, apparently, you know, the Dow is up to 25,000, which I thought was a joke when I saw that it was one of those MSNBC, uh, or MSN headlines. I, I thought they were saying when the Dow hits 25,000, I was thinking it was at 17,000. It, it's like the Dow is going up faster than Bitcoin now. Hopefully it doesn't crash. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I'm I'm obviously not rooting for economic calamity or anything like that, but you know, you look at this Dow twenty five thousand. Oh my gosh, this is so wonderful, guys! Remember, I've been I've been saying for years and years and years now. I mean, almost almost really a eh, the better part of a decade that this this whole stock market thing, man, it's all gone over to computers. There's hardly any actual human activity left in the stock market. Um, I reported years and years and years ago that, like, for example, Apple. Apple is, um, you know, the computer company Apple. One of the things that they do is they just, they churn the stock market all day, every day. I can't remember how many billions of dollars in shares that Apple just churns in the stock market, meaning buy and then sell a few microseconds later, buy, sell a few microseconds. I mean, just all of this kind of completely fake trading. Computer algorithms are the vast majority of the liquidity in the stock market anymore. You look at this price action and it's, I mean, it's obvious that there's something profoundly wrong here. Um, you know, just valuations of these of these companies are insane. I think we kind of were talking about this in the last episode about, you know, analogizing what's going on to the dot-com bubble in 99, the real estate bubble in 2008. Guys, it's the same thing with the Dow. You can't just turn blinders on because there there's a Republican quote unquote in the White House. I mean, I, I, and we're going to we're going to get into more about Trump and and so on and so forth in a minute, but you know, I'm 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 right there with all of y'all. Praise be to God that that Hillary Clinton is not the president of the former United States. We're all on the same page there. We're all on the same page there. But, you know, we can't delude ourselves into believing. Remember how, how you know, all during the Obama regime, we were constantly talking about the fact that all of these employment statistics and all this, this is all just faker than a three dollar bill. Just because Trump is in there now and a person that has Republican after their name is sitting in the White House and, you know, is is being the chief executive of the former United States, that doesn't mean that just 
overnight all of that stopped, you know, it's still the same damn Federal Reserve. It's still the same damn mess. It's still the same damn bunch of corruptocrats and oligarchs that are running Wall Street, the, the, all of the banks, et cetera, et cetera. None of that has changed. None of that has changed. So, you know, if you're going to be consistent, if you're going to be intellectually consistent about this stuff, look, look at the Dow 25,000 and just say to yourself, wait, is, is this for real? I mean, certainly I understand that people want to be rooting for economic recovery. A- absolutely. Nobody, nobody wants an economy to be poor. Nobody, nobody wants, you know, our working class friends, neighbors and family to be struggling horribly. Of course, everybody wants economic revival and so forth. But you, you can't just on a dime turn and say, okay, everything, everything's fantastic now. Dow 25,000, that's completely legit. No, it isn't. It totally is not. It's, it's obviously um, a, a, a false parabolic run-up, and it's frightening. It's frightening to watch this in exactly the same way that I'm frightened for people who, who think that Bitcoin and have invest, invested in, in Bitcoin, seeing this just parabolic increase without any liquidity in this hyper um, volatility and so forth, man, that that's not good. It is not good. Real estate valuations, you know, parabolically going up. Guys, not good, not healthy. Legitimate markets don't do things like that. Legitimate markets don't spike parabolically and um, legitimate legitimate markets are not vol- hyper volatile the way that we were discussed. I think we discussed this in the last episode, so we yes. don't need to rehash that. Um, it, it's not good. It's frightening to watch. Um, and again, what one of the things that that I've been reporting on and trying to help people with is the whole 401k thing. There have been people who've been saying, I want to get out of my 401k. I want to take this money out of the stock market, out of the financial system. I want to pay off or pay down outstanding debts, mortgages, so on and so forth. And, yes, and I want to get out of debt. I want to do that. My company won't let me out. Yeah, of course they won't let you out. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the Dow is at 25,000. If nobody can sell, if nobody can liquidate, what that by definition means is all there are is buyers, right? So if you have all these people who are essentially being forced to buy into the stock market and you have all this synthetic, um, basically synthetic buy volume and people are actually prohibited from selling and liquidating, and then you put just the fat, all the computer algorithms and all that fake churning on top of it. I mean, yeah, obviously you're going to have a Dow that goes up, 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 even though there are people who are saying, hey, man, get me off this train. I want out. Um, that's extraordinarily unhealthy. And um, as I've tried to explain to people, um, th- there's no real reason why anyone should be prohibited from liquidating their 401k. It's completely at the discretion of um, the, the plan administrator, which is your employer. 
I had a 401k set up for myself because I owned my own firm. You know, I, even though it was just me, I owned Barnhart Capital Management and therefore I was able to set up a 401k program for myself and I was the plan administrator. When I said, man, I want out of this, it, all I had to sign was one form. One piece of paper, it wasn't like something that was even 10 pages long. It was one piece of paper, very short, very succinct, that I had to sign to essentially give myself permission to liquidate my 401k. That's all it takes. The reason that you all can't get out of your 401k is because your employers um, either of their own volition or because they're being held under the thumb of someone else, they won't permit you to get out. Well, the people the people whose permission you would need are the most risk-averse people on the planet or evil, depending on how which way you want to look at that, and that's the HR department. You can't exactly. get anything out of those people. Yeah, exactly. Um, and who, Apologies and to who, people who, in there, who work in HR. I mean, I'm making generalizations, and that tends to be true in most cases, but I'm sure people listening are awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, it, I mean, yeah, it's just you could get out. They won't let you out. And whose thumb are they under? You know, you just have to keep asking who benefits, who benefits, who benefits. Um, and the 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 orders that have come down from Wall Street are is that you cannot allow American workers in any significant quantity to ever be able to liquidate out of these out of these 401k accounts you can't permit them to do it because if they do that there will be so much selling that comes into the market people will will rightly want to try to capture dow 25000 and say Oh man, I I I, phew, I want out of this man. I want to take this cash and I want to pay off my mortgage, dude. And if if you give people the ability to do that, then the house of cards, and that's what it is, the house of cards will instantaneously tumble. Well, so it, it won't go to zero and stay there, but there will be a massive correction. So if you're somebody oh, yeah. who's in the markets and you know that there's going to be a change coming up, and really this this all goes back to the tax laws, which they're they're I, I wonder how much of the run up past 25,000 has to do with the the tax changes that just happened. But ultimately 401k's and IRAs and things like that are all a they're they're a tax shelter scheme for you to keep your own money that you earned. Uh, in, in in a more just system and I that I know that'll set you off on a whole different rant that you don't want to get into at the moment but mm. um if if people could just keep what they earned, uh, I, I'm a firm believer in, in doing with doing away with the income tax and going to something oh, yeah. something either either a straight one percent wealth tax like Switzerland does, or um, a, a uh, retail sales tax on uh, finished products. Something that's popularly known as the fair tax, but there are some squirrely people who support that too. So I don't really know what the right answer is. But if we did away with the income tax completely, so many complications go away all of a sudden. Uh, yep. There's no need for health savings accounts. There's no need for IRAs. There's no need for 401ks. It's just your money. Save it. Yep, exactly. Exactly. The The income tax is absolutely horrible. It has to go. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Some sort of a very low sales tax. But really, I think what um, the major source of revenue for any nation state should be import and export tariffs. I think, I think that should be, 
specifically import tariffs, obviously. I mean, that should be the major source of revenue, it seems to me. And um, Well, and cutting you know, spending, too. I mean, we don't need to be spending $6 trillion a year fighting everybody else's wars. Oh, of course. Absolutely. That goes without saying. I mean, you know, limit yourself to imp- to to tariff revenue and then, yeah, maybe, I don't know, yeah, maybe some sort of a very low sales tax um, on finished products, like you said, not a service tax. And um, th- then the government just has to be limited. The, the military has to be limited to that budget and then... Obviously, this bureaucracy, I mean, that's, that's well, entitlements, Social Security, Medicare, I have videos on this. That crap all has to go. It all has to go. And um, it, so Social Security, Medicare, and then what was, what was the other thing I was getting ready to say? I lost my train of thought. Probably income um, taxes, um, just spending in general. Spending in general, so we're spending on the military. We're cutting. We're cutting all of these entitlements. Oh, the bureaucracy. The the the, the bureaucracy. What a scourge! What an evil thing this bureaucracy is. And you know, it ta- ties all back in with what we talk about with diabolical narcissism and the alpha and beta. And you've got these psychopaths, like for example, people in Congress. Every, pretty much everybody in Congress. Ooh, this is going to segue into the next topic. Everybody in Congress. Let's call them alphas. They're alpha diabolical narcissists. But but what's propping all that up? What's enabling all of these people? It's this bureaucracy. It's this massive group of beta diabolical narcissists. People who are completely content to attach themselves to an alpha psychopath above them, and then enable them trail you know trail along on their coattails. This massive, massive population of beta diabolical narcissists which are populating the bureaucracy i've said it before man though that's those people scare me more they scare me more than the alphas because there's so many of them there's so many of these betas this bureaucracy is so massive and and they're probably more vicious too because they're the ones who, who will actually draw blood to defend the alphas Yes, exactly. I mean, they're the stormtroopers. They're the ones who are pulling the trigger, man. They're the ones who are doing the dirty work. Um, so, yeah, if you if you go to a a sane tax regime um, and and government revenue being generated in a sane, morally licit way, then by definition, you have to get rid of all of this this bureaucracy. And yes, you're going to have to drive all of those people back into a, a real economy, a real productive economy, which also means that you're going to have to restart production, you know, and not just have this this sick, twisted, not really producing anything BS service economy that just keeps getting worse and bigger and just it's like a tumor it just keeps growing to the point that the united states produce the former united states produces no steel it produces no textiles of any of any significant quantity and on and on and on so you have this this nation the united states that that just can't produce anything everything has to come from china everything has to come from korea nobody's producing anything you have this 
massive bloated economy of BS service positions and, and bureaucracy. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And then you just see, and right now on Drudge, as we're sitting here looking at this, there's headlines about, you know, this and such firm is getting ready to come online with these robots that are going to replace, you know, wait staff at restaurants, just everything. Um, truck drivers, the biggest single vocation in the world is truck drivers. You bring robots online to replace that. Okay, all those people are going to be unemployed. What are you going to have them do? What are you going to have them do? Well, they need to be producing something, ideally. Going to have to reboot all of that. So, I mean, it just all feeds on itself. Yeah, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, it's, it's not, it's not going to go well, that's for sure. No. And, um, we were, we were mentioning, uh, the alpha beta diabolical narcissist and that, and that dynamic, there was a uh, recent noise with, uh, Trump and Bannon going after each other. Actually, Bannon's been going after Trump ever since he got kicked out of the white house when it was discovered that he was the one leaking everything to the uh, New York times. And yeah. Trump finally unleashed a series of tweets. I was mentioning, uh, in the, in the chat before the show here that, um, January 3rd's Ben Shapiro uh, show podcast. Uh, ben Shapiro used to work for Bannon at Breitbart. So he is he is privy to some of the, the meltdowns that the, that nobody else would have been privy to. And uh, so he, his his dissection of the whole Trump v. Bannon thing is, is pretty interesting. Uh, if I can find a link to the to the MP3, I'll, I'll post that. Although if you're listening to this show three months from now, uh, it may have already been gone because I don't know how long those things stay available for free. But uh, that's that's worth listening to to get a little more background. Um, Bannon basically is a leech who who tries to glom onto um, whether it's it's I forget the name of the family now, but some rich family who finances the Breitbart's or whether it was Andrew Breitbart riding his his coattails uh, latching onto Trump. The most recent one was trying to um, uh, claim credit for Roy Moore in Alabama, which now that he lost, he's not claiming credit for it anymore. But he he was he was already pre-announcing that that uh, he was the reason uh, Roy Moore was going to win. He's he's just one of these people who needs to go away, and the sooner the better. But unfortunately, he's not going to go away. He's even gone crazy enough to refer to his own <laughs> his own presidential, media, yeah. no, no, his own his own media thing, um, Breitbart, as as less than credible media, referring to you know, yeah, talk, talking to that. New I, York I, Times I, and whatnot. So the the guy <laughs> the guy is unhinged, and um, yeah, it it makes for I guess fun gossip reading, but um, it's 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 un, it's unfortunate. It's sad. It is. Um, but, you know, it all goes back to um, there's two Barnhart axioms. And the one with regards to politics is, is anybody who's seeking or holding national level public office is by definition, morally, psychologically, even intellectually unfit to hold high level public office. Um, the fact that you're running for president means you're disqualified from being president. The fact that you're running for Congress means instantaneously that you should be disqualified the, from the people from who actually, the people who actually want to win the office and, and become president and wield the power. I've made the joke before that I want to run for president because I'd be one of the fastest ways to martyrdom. If it looks like I'm going to win, because there's no way they're going to let someone like me in, in, in the white house. So that, oh, that, that would be the easy yeah. way out, but that's, that's, that's tongue in cheek. I'm, I'm not being serious about running for, for office. No, 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 no. Um, and you know, it, it's the same goes for someone like Bannon who, is attached to and trying to be a player in national level politics. 
that right there tells you there's something terribly, terribly wrong. And it goes, it goes for all of them wanting to have anything to do, anything to do with any of that crap is indicative that the person in question has massive massive psycho-spiritual problems. And that's what we're seeing right now with Bannon. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people, and again, I reiterate, thank God that Hillary Clinton is not right now the president of the former United States. We're all in agreement on this. But you guys have to admit that there's Trump ain't right either. The fact that this guy is sitting around and and going on Twitter all day, that it, it, there's a lot of people, oh, he's absolutely brilliant. No, he isn't. No, he isn't. This is incredibly disturbing. The, the, if the reports are true, and I, I strongly suspect that they are by the things that we see Trump saying and doing on Twitter and so forth, is that the guy is that Trump is absolutely obsessed with sitting around and watching cable news and is worried about, you know, himself and his brand and his image. This was my whole, um, this was my, what I suspected and I don't know, maybe it was wrong about, I, 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 it goes back and forth. Before Trump won the election, my suspicion was is that he doesn't want anything to do with being president. He's doing this to develop his brand. And there were reports out that he wanted to um, get together with Roger Ailes, who has since died, who was the head of Fox News. And they they were in cahoots and they were wanting to start a new uh, cable news thing that that Trump's business was television and, you know, basically an, a, an entertainment paradigm. Um, I started using the word kayfabe, um, which came from the world of profession, professional wrestling. And not even knowing, and it was it was it was a big joke. I remember just being absolutely stunned that Trump was in fact involved in. He, w, he's in the Professional wrestling, wrestling Hall of Fame. He's in the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. There's videos of him at WrestleMania, um, body slamming Vince McMahon, whose wife ran for uh, Congress, Senate, something from Connecticut, Linda McMahon. This whole business of professional wrestling and politics overlapping each other, Trump's involvement, all that. I'm, I'm looking at this saying, that there's no way this guy actually wants to be president. Interestingly enough, just this week, that meme is coming back up. People are saying there was reportage that, um, you know, Trump isn't really interested, never really did want to be president. And that's kind of why he's disengaged and watching cable news and all of this. Well, he's letting um, Jared and Ivanka run the show. He's letting Jared and Ivanka run the show, which, which is there something that, that Bannon is really uh, mad about. He calls him Javanka that, that he, Javanka, he more than anything yeah. else that uh, Bannon wants those two out of the white house. And there's somebody framed it as, um, you know, it's it's Bannon against the Jews because, you know, Jared Kushner is obviously Jewish. If uh, Ivanka converted, apostatized, oh, my gosh, apostatized and became uh, a Jew to marry him. They're raising their children as Jews. Remember, we had a mass said. Uh, we had a mass said for the conversion of Jared and the reversion, the conversion of Jared and the children and the reversion of Ivanka. Um, and so it, it, it's being framed as Bannon against the Jews. And uh, 
what what a disaster what a complete disaster um and so the the other thing that's been talked about this week is Melania. There's, you know, memes coming out saying that um, Melania actually wept when when Trump won the election because she didn't she didn't want to be first lady. She didn't want anything to do with this. Actually, if that is true, I'm, I'm, I don't know if it is or not, but if that is true, that is actually another um, point for Melania that she's a morally sane person and and wouldn't want anything to do with this. And I'll, I'll say this again to my mind, from my observation of all of this, the the whole Trump everything, the person in the whole of the Trump um, administration who has impressed me and has done a wonderful job so far and has not made a misstep and seems to be the most um, self-aware of all of them is Melania. Believe it or not, I, I she always looks fantastic. She comports herself with class. I mean, I... Oftentimes, we'll see some reportage on Melania doing something, and I'm I'm actually I'm proud of her. I'm proud. Of her. It's like, oh, wow, you're doing a great job, sweetheart. You're doing a fabulous job. She's she's the classiest first lady we've had in a long, long time. She's lovely. She's doing a great job. If if I'm gonna brag on anything or talk up anyone. In the Trump, in the Trump White House, any of that group, it's her. And if if she wept, if she in fact wept at the thought of, oh my gosh, he's won this thing, we're actually going to have to go to Washington and do this. Being a mother of a minor child, Baron Trump is only eleven years old. I, I can I can completely sympathize with her, and it indicates to me that she is in fact morally sane because she wanted nothing to do with it. Um, and we had we had a mass said for Melania. Um, she indicated that that she had she was raised atheist in a communist country, and then she indicated that she had converted to Catholicism. Now, obviously, this this quote unquote marriage that she's into Trump it seems to be problematic. Um, I, I'm not sure if it doesn't look like the marriage to Trump is valid. Um, I don't know, but, but, but we had a mass said for, we've gotten some emails that, 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 uh, pointed out the whole lineage here that Trump's first marriage was invalid because, uh, that of, woman had already Ivana, been married. Yeah. And the same thing with Marla Maples or was that number one, whoever that every, everyone prior to Melania was, was invalid. So that, that, um, possibly maybe technically valid, yeah. maybe that, that Melania is valid, whatever. It's still, it's still a mess. Yeah, it's a mess. And we're rooting for her. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to criticize Melania. Um, I, it would not surprise me at all if she is mortified by the whole thing, but she's doing a great, great job, it seems to me. So there you go. And that's the, the summary for now on Trump and Ban. And I, I have Twitter up in the background. I see that Donald Trump just tweeted something else about, uh, about Bannon here just a few minutes ago. So oh, what, what is it? Read I'll it. See, I, apparently Bannon is coming out of the book. And the, the quote from Donald Trump, I authorized zero access to the white. I, I, I can't do his voice. He authorized yes. zero access to the white house. I actually turned him down many times, uh, for an author of a phony book. I never spoke to him for a book full of lies, misrepresentations. Apparently Steve Bannon is trying to put out a, a tell all book at this point. 
Well, he's quoted it extensively in a tell-all book. And he's now, I mean, this is classic diabolical narcissist behavior. He's now saying Trump's crazy, Trump's stupid, da-da-da-da-da, just tearing the whole thing to the ground. It's like, dude, wait a minute, just a matter of a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, you're you're 110% behind Trump, and now as it becomes politically expedient for you, you're just, boom, turning on a dime. Again, this is indicative of people that have serious, serious um, psycho-spiritual problems. Um, and the fact that Bannon was involved in any of this in the first place, as I said, is indicative of the fact that, that he, he there's a problem with him. There's a problem with Bannon. Um, it's no surprise then to see these people turning on each other, sniping at each other. It's, it's, it's par for the course with these people. Um, and I, I don't, I think there are people out there who are going to be scandalized and it's, it's again, pointing everything back to the church. It's exactly what we see today in the church with these, um, bishops and cardinals who are turning on a dime, turning on a dime. And when, when Benedict the 16th, was still, you know, executing and administering the church and fulfilling his office. Um, all th- these priests and bishops and cardinals projected orthodoxy. You know, they they said what they needed to say to be in the quote unquote good graces of Pope Benedict. Now that you've got anti Pope Bergoglio, these these same men just on a dime. They'll turn around and they're saying things that are 180 degrees contrary to where they were before Pope Benedict um, foe abdicated. Okay, why are these people doing this? Why will they just turn on a dime? Because with them, it's all about power. And as soon as they they feel the, the winds change, they will change on a dime. They have no integrity. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. They have no integrity. Diabolical narcissists have no integrity. They're all about themselves. Hypocrisy doesn't bother them. Lying doesn't bother them. They'll say anything. They'll do anything in order to... Um, if they're betas, in order to appease whoever's in power so that they can continue to ride those coattails, financially benefit, um, get get sex, what whatever it is that's driving them. It's usually a combination of those things. Um, and so that's why you'll see in government with Bannon and Trump, just Bannon turning on Trump on a dime, it, and these churchmen who were – who would defend marriage and would um, stand against uh, against abortion, would stand against sodomy, et cetera, et cetera. And now that anti-Pope Bergoglio's in, they're, all they care about, all they care about is staying in his good graces, even if they hate his guts, even if they, you know, even if it, they don't even believe that he's the Pope, which I've been told that there's plenty of them who seriously seriously question whether or not Bergoglio is even the Pope which you know as you all know I'm morally certain that he isn't there's a lot of people in the Roman Curia who at least question um, 
whether or not Bergoglio is the Pope, oh, they'll never say a word. They'll never say a word because all they care about is maintaining their power, keeping the money flowing, keeping the sense of elitism going, and appeasing him, even if they think he's an arch criminal. Um, and it's the same thing with government. It's the same thing with, you know, corporate America, the financial system, Hollywood. We've talked about all this over and over again. It's the same dynamic all the way across. It's just a function of human civilization, really. And staying on the, the topic of diabolical narcissists, but uh, in, in one of the categories that you didn't mention just now, North Korea. They're getting ready to mm. launch another uh, nuclear, or, uh, actually not nuclear missile. They're getting ready to launch another missile, supposedly another intercontinental ballistic missile. Uh, do you think they can get this one off of their off of their uh, peninsula this time and hit the ocean, or are they going to land it on one of their cities again? Well, yeah, they've they've already hit one of their own cities. Um, that's the thing with that. It only takes one, you know. It only takes one. Um, even if even if they have all kinds of failures. One that hits South Korea, one that hits Japan, it'll probably be more likely it would be South Korea. Um, that that launches that launches full blown war, and um, I, I don't think that contemporary Americans can appreciate because I, I, there's hardly anyone who is in living memory of. Um, of war and there's certainly nobody who's in living memory of hot war on the American landmass obviously there's still a few people left who have living memory of World War II but obviously that wasn't happening directly on the landmass um, well and certainly there, so, we've got some listeners who, who have been in, involved in the kinetic operations in Afghanistan and Iraq to one degree or another so there there is some limited exposure there but by and large those that is the minority of not just uh, mm -hmm. Americans, but even act, even active duty service people, for the most part, don't deploy over there. You've got to be in an active combat role of some sort. So e exactly. e even, even of the military, most of us never saw actual combat. Sure. And remember, the United States hasn't declared war since World War II. Um, the Korean War is technically the Korean conflict, which is just so monumentally wrong. Vietnam, no declared war they there. Called, they called that one a police action to get around the oh, whole idea of declaring war. Exactly. That that was the beginning of the end. I mean, the, but I, you know, if if Asia explodes into war, it's going to be very, very difficult Um well, the best for, thing we can do if, if that happens is just to get the hell out of the way and let them do what they're going to do. Because here's the thing. you got the Chinese who are hyper paranoid about anything happening in Asia. The Koreans, who knows what's going to happen there. The Japanese are already pushing a change to their constitution to allow for an offensive military capability. The Indians are peering over the, over the mountains there trying to figure out is now the time to hit at Pakistan because nobody else is looking. Pakistan and right. China are, are bound in an agreement. There are so many entangling interests here that if we're in the middle of it or even on the sidelines, we're going to take major damage. Just get out. I mean, we, we, we left major forces in Japan after World War II because Japan was not in a state to defend itself at that point in time. And we had reason to, concern, to be concerned with Russia and possibly even China. Uh, after the Korean War, we left a lot of troops over there. They're still there because the Koreans were in no way uh, able to defend themselves. I think the Koreans are probably more able to defend themselves than, than we could respond and and, uh, and 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 put troops over there to try to defend them they've got a first class air force they've got uh, a, a pretty strong military we, we really don't need to be there uh, we don't need troops in Germany to protect against whom exactly um, I'm I even though I'm a military 
background kind of person. And I believe in a strong Navy. I, why are we all over the world? I mean, yeah, whatever. It's it, This is something that can go on for a while. The other thing that bears mentioning about Asia is I think a lot of Americans being completely ignorant of of history as most Americans are today, they don't realize the animosity that exists between especially the Chinese and the Japanese. The Japanese, before we kicked their ass into submission in World War II, were absolute bastards. Um, it's said that that the Japanese um, are are the most sadistic, the most absolutely sadistic race of people that have ever existed, and that's saying something. What the Japanese did um, to Nanking, China—it's called the Rape of Nanking. Look it up, um, and it's called the Rape of Nanking for a reason. Not, I mean, the 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 rape programs and torture the Japanese. We all have the contemporary, you know, perception of the Japanese being chill and just, you know, people who are just obsessed with work and, and, and tradition and so on and so forth. This is all say again and pushovers in a lot of cases and pushovers in a lot of cases. Um, this is all, all a pure construct of the post-World War II Japanese paradigm. What is lingering just barely under the surface of Japanese culture is a twisted, sick perversion um, that, you know, the, the Chinese and the Koreans are still just absolutely livid about atrocities that the Japanese committed against them for centuries and centuries and centuries. Oh, one, um, one of my shipmates when I, was, when I was in the Navy, he's a third generation uh, Korean American. Uh, his family was in, in the United States, you know, before World War II. But even still in the mid nineties, the biggest insult you could call this guy was to call him Japanese. It, it was oh, just, yeah. it, 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 I thought it was funny just in the sense like you've got no connection to that part of the world anymore aside from your blood. I mean, you can call me anything you want. I'm German blooded, but you can call me Italian. It's not going to bother me. Yeah, right. I was in high school with a girl um, when I was in when I was a sophomore in high school. I was in chemistry class with this Korean girl. Her parents were the immigrants. She was born here. She was completely American. And, you know, her family was pretty wealthy. So she was kind of in the in the popular crowd of wealthier girls. And it came time for her sophomore in high school. Her parents bought her a car. And the, I can't remember what it was, but they bought her an American car. And all the other the other kind of rich kids in that clique, I, I specifically remember this. They asked her, why didn't your parents get you like a Honda Civic or, you know, one of the popular Japanese cars or a Mazda Miata or something like that? And she said, oh, my parents would never, ever ever buy a Japanese car, ever. My parents hate the Japanese with like a fiery, fiery passion. And everybody was really shocked by this. And she just kind of said, yeah, the things that the Japanese did to the Koreans back in the day, no way, my parents will never forgive that. 
Oh yeah, Jews, I mean, Jews will buy German cars long before the Koreans will buy Japanese cars. Oh hell, oh yeah, well said, well said. Jews will buy German cars before before Koreans will buy the Jap buy Japanese cars. Well said, exactly. Um, and so I I don't think people understand this whole war dynamic that the Chinese and the Koreans, well, and especially the Chinese in this situation. They would um, they would not have any sort of a problem and would even jump at the chance to um, throw down some payback on Japan. Even today, right now, this very second, there are plenty of Chinese that would love to see an excuse for some sort of a land invasion of Japan. And I mean, to to most Americans, you say something like that and it just sounds incomprehensible. Wait, what are you talking about? China invading Japan? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, they've um, got enough people. They can lose 10 to 1 ratio on, on the invasion and still have uh, a couple of billion left over to, to occupy Japan. But see, the, the problem here you get into is that China has so many other concerns internally. You know, uh, if, if war broke out, one of the things they'll do is they'll, they'll crush Tibet in about five seconds flat. But they've also got yeah. uh, problems on, on their, their western frontier. People will seize that. I think it's the Uyghurs is what they're called. The um, yeah. native um, the Muslims, Chi- Chinese yeah. Muslims. Who mm-hmm. they're they're an ongoing problem, and of course they have connections uh, across the border into all the stands, and so they're mm-hmm. they're getting um, uh, connections, money, and 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 uh, weapons and whatnot. So if if something uh, goes kinetic over on the the eastern side, I use that phrase because uh, that's the new euphemism for we're at war, but we can't use the word war. If if, if things go kinetic on on the eastern uh, frontier with Japan and Korea. Um, watch for the Uyghurs to all of a sudden start agitating and doing things. Watch for the Pakistanis to get very agitated because now something, uh, if, if, if there's a lot going on over in the um, uh, China, Japan, Korea area, India and Pakistan, have, have th- th- these are nuclear-armed um, militaries that regularly trade uh, small arms fire across their border. <laughs> it's yeah. the only two countries like that in the world. And it's just a typical day in Kashmir. They're just shooting at each other. Yeah, so, exactly. They call it destabilization for a reason. <laughs> oh yeah, and let's not forget the fact um, Iran, a big you know Persia traditionally, uh, it was the name for that. There's you know they, they may have some screwed up people running the show there, but there is some very competent um, lineage there they, they, with, a, with a pretty big military. They do not like the the uh, the Sunnis that surround them. Um, and then of course, once you get into the Levant region, you got all kinds of mess over there. It's just everything from the Mediterranean to the, the Pacific on the East that Asia is just a powder keg waiting to go off. So we, we really don't want some knucklehead in North Korea, um, playing, playing with model rockets and, and, and landing it on the wrong city because the whole continent could go up. Yep. And you mentioned super nerd that you've been out of the loop. You have seen that there are huge protests, huge anti-government, anti-mullah protests going on in Iran. And unlike Obama in the summer of 2009, I remember it like it was yesterday. Remember when all of the Persians, you know, were flooding into the streets this close, a hair's breadth away from from overturning the um, the Mullah regime, the Persian people are some of the most sophisticated people living under the jackboot the jackboot of Islam, and Iran has traditionally been one of the most. Um, sane, normal, intelligent, um, if we can use that word, um, musloid countries. 
and that they're they were ready to overthrow the mullahs in 2009 and obama didn't say a word and now we know in retrospect Obama was in their pocket. Obama was actively supporting treasonously. I mean, I said this in 2009, but we now know in the context of that Iranian, uh, you know, treaty and all of that, that that was full blown treason. And it's one of the reasons I mean, it it technically wasn't treason because I don't think that uh, I don't know. It depends on how you come down on whether or not Obama is even American citizen. I said from the very beginning, Obama should be, he's a non-state, non-uniformed enemy belligerent. And so you wouldn't try him for treason because treason is for citizens. Um, Obama should have been should have been arrested and tried as a non-state, non-uniformed en- enemy belligerent and frankly still should be, still should be. Just send him um, a jet mail with the rest of the Muslims. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But we now, we now have context and proof that he was actively working to prop up support um the iranian mullah regime and there and he he explicitly um declined to offer any support to the persian people who were so close to overthrowing the regime any word of support any word of support coming out of the american government for that movement in in the summer of 2009 probably would have sent it given it given it su- sufficient momentum that that they could have overthrown the regime yeah, but well he's, he's ha- aligned he's aligned with sunni muslims and and uh, there are a lot of conspiracy theories floating around about what happened what was what was he doing during the columbia years and one yeah. of the one of the suspicions is he was actually working for the CIA running stinger missiles into Pakistan and and that was because during his time in Indonesia um, that piece of work his mother was probably a, a spook herself and I mean that in the sense oh, yeah. of a, yeah yeah given the context I should clarify that spook as in spy now, with her background the school she went to and you know uh, and her parents yeah her the fact you can go were, in, the fact you can go in and out of Indonesia at that particular point in time without being a citizen uh, he had the language skills Obama did to to uh, navigate that region. He knew the customs. Um, he and cur- his gay lover at Occidental College, Mohammed um, Chandu, was Pakistani, and he went in 1980 to Pakistan with his homosexual lover, Mohammed Chandu, and that was the the entree in. It's also thought that he he might have spent time at. Uh, What's it called in Moscow? The university, the spy university, oh, Patrice Lumumba, yeah, Patrice Lumumba um, University in Moscow, and that's where he was during the so-called Columbia years because he wasn't at Columbia. The people who were there at Columbia, who had exactly his major, um, said we we never saw this guy, and it was a it was a tight knit community. Um, what was his major? Political science or something like that. They, his alleged major, he said, we, we never saw this guy. This guy simply was not at Columbia it, during, during this period of time. Never saw him. He was at Harvard. Now, every, every, he was well known at Harvard. No one ever saw him at Columbia. The whole Columbia story is BS from top to bottom. Where was he? What was he doing? He was working um, on his uh, Sunni Pashtu uh, connections in, in Pakistan and, and uh, Afghanistan. But yep. that gets to the larger point that one of the natural enemies there is is with the the Shias in Iran. So yeah. it it shouldn't come as a big surprise that he would not help them. 
Um, of course, he will you know make a profound bow to the king of, of Saudi Arabia, but uh, mm-hmm. he's not going to lift a finger to help the Iranians. And don't forget, in, in history, this is something, um, at some point, we're going to get back to talking about the different parts of the mass, and we're going to pick up on the introit. On, and and um, this is something that really struck me on, on the, 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 fourth, uh, the fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, one of the things a priest long ago told me in terms of if you, if you want to understand the liturgy of, of the Mass, you read the introit, and then you read the entire, uh, the entire book of, 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 the, uh, of the Old Testament, whatever it is, the, the, entire, the, the entire scriptural book where, where the, the reading for the introit comes from. Mm-hmm. And in the case of the the uh, fourth Sunday of, of Advent, last Sunday before Christmas, it is a reference to Isaiah 45 referring to Cyrus, the anointed one. And what's interesting about this is that Cyrus was, he was one of the, the instrumental people in, in bringing about the Persian Achaemenid Empire. And he's the, uh, far, if I remember correctly, he's the only, um, he's the only non-Jewish ruler referred to in the Old Testament as being anointed of God. And that's, mm. some, that's something I've wondered about for a while. And I remembered that in, in high school, one of my, uh, my church history professor, uh, every single test for an extra 10 points would, would be explain why the Pax Romana was divinely established in order to help Catholicism spread through the world. In other words, it wasn't an accident that Christ was born when he was. But if mm-hmm. you trace history back, uh, from you know the Romans obviously had conquered that whole area, but before them the Greeks had done it. Before them, the Persians had done it. Before Cyrus and the Persians built the Achaemenid Persian Empire, it was you know from from the Mediterranean all the way to the other side. There was basically you know uh, small clans warring against against each other, and what Cyrus pretty much stopped was the whole idea of the city states. And bringing in this gigantic corporate entity that, for the first time, that entire Middle East, um, uh, near near Far East uh, area, from the Mediterranean all the way to the Indus, saw themselves. They they still were 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 local and, and maintained their custom and identity, but for the first time, they had that corporate identity of being Persians, part of the empire. Mm, and each successive mm-hmm. uh, iteration, whether it was the the Greeks or or then the Romans, became more central, uh, more of the central identity. So it's it's interesting. The final Sunday before Christ comes into the world liturgically, we we see this reference to Cyrus as the one who is paving the way for all all the social and political and logistical um, changes that had to happen between that time when Cyrus was and Christ being born to more uh, efficiently and easily spread the gospel and spread the good news. And there's no mistake to say that. And I bring this all the way back around talking about Iran. It's not like these people have forgotten their their their. Um, their lineage. I mean, the, the 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 people of Italy, for example, still think that at some point Rome is going to rise again. In the same way that you know people in Alabama say that the South is going to rise again. Uh, the people in Persia still believe they're great. They don't think they ever stopped being great. And just because Persia doesn't own all of Asia doesn't mean they don't they don't think they they don't have they they don't think they lack the capacity to do it again. So, mm-hmm. um, yet another reason: don't take these people off. <laughs> don't give. Don't motivate yeah. them. Yeah, I mean we especially Americans. Again, we tend to, because we are currently a superpower, the superpower, you know, with China coming up very, very quickly. um, And again, people not having any historical perspective, this of course being um, partly a function of narcissism. It, It is a function of narcissism to just not even care about anyone or anything other than yourself 
obviously including people who have come before or anything that has happened before. And so for Americans especially, it's very difficult for, for any Americans to think that anyone else would have any you know, aspirations or even any, any his, historical reference or context of being a global power like this. And, um, and so they just kind of blow it off and think that, you know, Iran is just some, some crap hole in the Middle East. How could these people possibly think that they're anything but the denizens of some Middle Eastern crap hole? Well, you know, look at history. And what super nerd just said is absolutely right. It's, it's, in their culture that they believe that they will rise again and be a massive influential power. And at the rate that the post-Christian West is just nosediving, well, why, why couldn't they? I mean, I, I don't think that those Persian people are, are self-loathing and suicidal the way that pretty much everybody now in the post-Christian West is. They want to be great. They want to be dominant, et cetera, et cetera. Not just, you know, lay down and die the way um, Western Europe and and certainly North Americans do. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> no, there you go. <laughs> I think well, we finished that topic. I think we have. What, what, what's on deck. Uh, let's see. Next one on my notes is if you are listening to this podcast, if you're able to hear it, then your device is probably affected by the specter meltdown bug. And, um, sorry, I can't help you with that. <laughs> no, there's, well, there, there was and something I know that was, nothing about that. So if you want to riff on that, uh, go ahead. Not, not for long. I, I, I only really noticed this today. Um, apparently in November, security researchers found out that there is a, a, a very serious security flaw in all Intel processors made in the last 10 years. And what I just realized before the show is that that it, it also affects the ARM processors that are in pretty much every single Apple. Uh, if you've got an iPhone, you're you're affected by it. I think this might even extend to um, pretty much every Android phone as well because they all use ARM derivative processors as well. But I haven't seen any anything saying that if if you're using Android, you're subject to all kinds of other problems. But that's beside the point. Um, and I, I say that. Not to be dismissive of Android, I, I actually like Android phones. It's just some of my favorite friends actually use Android. No, it, it's it's um it, <laughs> that Android phones can't be updated as easily. One nice thing about iPhones, even though they slow them down on purpose uh, after two or three years, is that you can still get the latest updates. So when Apple finally patches things to uh, to, to account for the, the the flaws in these processors, you know you'll be able to get updates for that. If you have a Samsung phone, whenever Verizon green lights it, okay, fine. And they're the fastest ones um, most of the time. Um, but they, they, it's, it's a pretty big deal uh, in terms of how many it's, it's, it, the, the device count is in the billions in terms of who's affected by this. And there's really nothing you can do. There's a, a, another headline on Drudge saying that uh, security researchers are saying they recommend re, you know, corporations replacing all of their computers. Problem is with what? Because everything right now that has been yep. made for a while. I mean, the, this flaw was was discovered and, and brought forward to the um, to the security research community in, in November, and there was supposed to be an embargo on even announcing this until January nineteenth, at which time Apple, Microsoft, uh, Canonical, Red Hat, and all the big software vendors were going to announce this by saying this patch you need to stop what you're doing and apply it now because there's a massive vulnerability. Well, somebody beat them to it. And now people are scrambling and it's causing mass hysteria and 
Uh, people are freaking out. Don't freak out about this. I mean, your computer is it can be accessed and hacked 17 ways to Sunday. So this is just one other way it can be done. And if you're using Windows 10, you know, say hi to the NSA. They're listening anyway. But um, <laughs> it, it's it, it's a pretty big flaw. It, it's it it's gonna you know on, on there there's a, the cynical side of me says um, that you know this this is a pretty good reason for the, the hardware vendors to be able to sell a whole bunch of new equipment because processors have gotten so fast in the last few years. There's no reason to upgrade. Uh, my my Lenovo uh, laptop that's I, I call it my beast machine because it. It, uh, it really fast quad core machine, 64 gigs of RAM. So I can run two instances of Chrome at the same time. But, uh, that, that machine, I don't see any reason to replace this in seven years, probably, uh, at the speed that this thing goes, unless of course there's a massive problem with the hardware. And the only way to solve that is to replace it. So mm. the cynical side of me says, well, it could be planned obsolescence, but I don't think they would have baked something this bad into the whole thing. So bad news. Well, and the- the other thing it brings up is the whole, you know, the whole issue of Bitcoin. So you have you have this problem, whatever it is, that affects basically every PC, laptop, and mobile phone on the planet. You said it was billions of devices, right? Yep. Anything running an you, Intel processor in the last ten years, anything with an iOS. Um, an, an Apple A series processor, and and one of the one of the things that this this flaw allows attacking code to do is to access protected memory uh, and and uh, encrypted sections of or protected portion portions of, of of the system that it should not be able to get access to, like passwords in memory, uh, the ability to actually look at the contents of your hard drive, like oh I don't know private keys for cryptocurrency, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, and and if somebody either makes off with it or deletes your private keys. Uh, somebody, I uh, had a conversation with somebody via Twitter about uh, the, listening to the last show. He, he thought that we, the whole conversation of is the cash gone or the crypto, is, is the, the Bitcoin gone or is it uh, simply you can't use it? He thought for sure we were going to go some make, make a Schrodinger's cat reference. And I started laughing. I said, okay, forevermore, the, the, the idea of uh, Bitcoin that you cannot access anymore because you've lost your, pro, your private key, that is called Schrodinger's cash. It exists, but ah, you can't get to it. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Schrodinger's cash. <laughs> exactly. But, the, but mean, the point being is that, yes, if an attacker is able to exploit the, the flaw in, the, in this hardware, and that's the problem, it's hardware, you, you have to basically do a very low-level update to Windows or Linux or Mac OS or whatever else you're running out there to be able to protect against this. And you're, you are de-featuring the, the CPU. So they're saying it's anywhere from a, a 5 to 20% performance hit you're going to take to put the the, um, the protection patch on your systems when it's available. And I've already seen some snarky comments on Twitter. It's like, I'll, I'll go ahead and, you know, <laughs> life's a lottery. Be lucky. I'll, I'll take the, the performance, you know, and, and the risk at the same time. But but uh, if you've got sensitive material, um, if, if you work for a company that that is public and has to answer to shareholders and and um, has has is subject to like Sarbanes-Oxley compliance or PCI compliance, this is a massive nightmare. Um, there are people pulling their hair out right now over this one. So it, it's it's a big deal for a lot of computer people. Uh, the technical people understand this. If you're not technical, don't worry about it, honestly. I mean, there, there are so many ways that, that people could be hacked. And worse, you know, if somebody really wanted the contents of their computer, they could just knock your door down, come in, take your computer, and walk out the front door. I mean, there's there's a, all kinds of ways to get your, get your data. It's not worth getting you know, worried about it. I'd, I'd rather worry about the government because they actually will do things like, like, like knock your door down and uh, barge yeah. in with guns. Um, you know, what, what you're doing on the computer probably is not as big of a deal for most people. But 
you know, happy news Thursday. If you're listening to this, you probably are listening on a device that's compromised. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we keep and we just keep plugging along. Um, Unless, of course, you're listening well, three months from now and, and you just, re, you know, just restarted your machine and it just caught up because it's it's uh, been slowed down so much, in which case you're OK. Yep. There you go. Well, my friend, what do you think? You want to call this a snap a snack pack and and uh, well, actually, we're coming up on an hour, so it's a big snack yep. pack. Yep. Substantial yep. snack pack. Yep. Uh, let's see, we still have <laughs> plenty of stuff to talk about for for uh, next week. So there you go. Uh, and that's not even taking into uh, account that we at some point are going to resume the the liturgy series, talking about the introit and um, the significance of it. I kind of talked a little bit about it just now, but that was more about Persia than the mass. Yeah, we need to do it in a more formalized way. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah, let's let's wrap it up for this week. General reminders, if you have feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, or ideas what to do about uh, processor vulnerabilities, email podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Ann's Benefactors are Mondays through Thursdays, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, plus a weekly requiem. Please join your intentions with the priests offering this mass, and please pray for them as well. This podcast is a super nerd media production. Yes, my web web hosting provider is probably affected by this processor thing too, and good luck to everyone, all of you who want to exploit that. If you'd like to learn more or support this project, you can do that at supernerdmedia.com slash donate, or without the donate, you can just find the, the whole website there. I want to especially thank Richard P. and Mark F. Let me make sure I'm saying the right person here. It's... Yes, Mark F., who uh, sent in donations over the last since the last show. Thank you very much for that and uh, helps keep this whole operation going. Uh, Matthew 1720 initiative, uh, to the best of your ability, try to fast or, or pray twice a week for the resolution of the current issues with the papacy. Uh, any final words to play us out for this weekend? Um, happy Christmas. It's still Christmas, um, depending on how you think of it. If I would have been thinking about it, I'd have the number set. Uh, let's see. Tomorrow would be the 12th day. So this would be the Tomorrow's 11th the 12th day. day, yep. 11 Pipers piping. Watch those Pipers. They're Trixie. Um, and Epiphany, which is the big gift-giving day. So don't forget that. And then, really, if you want to consider Christmas going all the way until February 2nd, uh, until the Feast of the Presentation, by all means, go ahead. Um, and, again, thank you all to all of my benefactors. Um there were there were a lot of Christmas presents that came in. God bless all of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so very, very much. Be assured of my daily prayers at the sacrifice of the Mass and in the Rosary and just, you know, throughout the day, periodically throughout the day. Um, I say an Ave for, for my benefactors. Thank you all so much. And uh, thank you as always, Super Nerd. And I hope you and, and your family had and are having a wonderful Christmas and will have a wonderful epiphany. So far, so good. And it looks good so far. I, I know what uh, some of the gifts are that are being going to be given away on, on uh, Saturday and Sunday. So there's good on that. Oh, something I want to mention from the last podcast. You mentioned the uh, the Barnhart um, uh, cattle marketing uh, program. And oh, yeah. uh, I, was, I was mentioning to you, it sounds like what you need to do is rebrand this as the 16-hour MBA, especially after that story of the, the couple who went to the Harvard Business School summer Short session course, and, yeah, and yeah. learned more in two hours from your course than, than from their whole mixer, you know, drop a lot of money and, and say that you went to Harvard for a summer. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, call it the 16-hour MBA. Yeah, that, that might, there might be some legs to that. 
Indeed, indeed. And, you know, since it since it is mathematics and it, it applies across the board, it really applies to, to any industry that a person's in. Just the fact that it's in cattle makes it, you know, for me, pretty cool. But <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. That's a good idea. The the 16 the hour MBA. Maybe we should. Hey, maybe you should um, reserve that uh, that domain name. Um, <laughs> I'll do that as soon as as soon as I'm done <laughs> recording here. But before I publish. <laughs> Okay, cool. Right on. And until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. 